I mean, I was told by my film professor, there are films and there are movies. And sometimes you've got to know what you're walking into. Yeah. See, but I come from a time when movies were films. Good morning, movie friends, and welcome back to the Court of Cinema Podcast. This is the show where we celebrate and analyze our favorite film. I'm your slogan, and here you can catch us diving into the world of film and TV. Doesn't matter if you're a seasoned pro or a curious beginner, there's something here for you to enjoy. In today's episode, we're talking about Noah Baumbach's Francis Ha. Before we dive into Noah Baumbach's Francis Ha, I do want to remind you we're still under the effects of an actor's and writer's strike. Down below in the show notes, we're going to have links where you can support the cause if you want to, as well as educate yourself on the subject matter. I think Francis Ha is by far one of the best films to enter this indie art house film genre that we all know and love me personally i don't even watch a lot of indie films there are just a few highlights that i absolutely love christopher nolan's following not his best film but definitely very cool seeing how he grew as a director and also that black and white format shoot on 35 millimeter film it's very cool very cool seeing the same director as the dark knight inception where he started and where he ended up john favreau chef another beautiful indie film i love the way the food shot in this movie it's absolutely breathtaking a very good movie on greed and passion and ambition it's executed so very very well and another film we'll be talking about in the next coming weeks sing street one of my favorite coming of age stories of all time i gave it a four and a half when i watched it it should be a five it's absolutely great the soundtrack slaps and it's just i think perfect in every regard it speaks to me on so many levels but francis hall from greta gerwig and noah Baumbach is also another great entry into this indie genre both of them writing the film did such a great job greta gerwig acting and writing she just expressed so much innocence and the bombastic personality that can come with the 20s and just coming of age in this era of your life where you're not really sure what you're doing or where you're going and directing wise it's just a, such a minimal approach to filmmaking very bare bones not trying to do too much or be too broad or ambitious i think that allowed for a very special story which is exactly what we got with francis ha whether it's intentional or not francis ha definitely feels like it's very inspired by the french new wave one of the biggest eras of film and probably the most important wave of filmmaking being the french new wave the french new wave came post-world war ii a lot of different just waves of art in general and a lot of film waves came after world war ii like german expressionism or just japanese or south korean cinema waves but for the french new wave pretty much what it was big movies filmed in classic hollywood lacked themes and thematic elements they weren't very thematically rich they focused more on story instead of character which was a little bit of a problem shot on a soundstage very just almost bland but classic hollywood no shame to that era as well also very inspiring but the french new wave deviated from this style of filmmaking as well as storytelling and they broke the mold of that style of filmmaking they got out of the sound stage they added a lot of extras just filming on the street filming handheld which if you look back and watch it today it won't seem like it's that interesting or that unique but at the time when you think of a lot of these films just being shot on a sound stage it becomes very interesting becomes very cool and you can see how special it was at the time francis i think captured the essence of the french new wave encapsulating it into this one film so well francis ha is almost structured like a book it's structured in different chapters each chapter follows a new place that francis is living in her life i think the opening of the movie shows us the driving force of this entire film that being francis and sophie the power of that relationship and how it really propels the whole story forward we open the film with just a lot of exposition on who Frances is and her relationship with Sophie. At this time in her life, Frances is about 27 years old. Her career as a dancer isn't quite what she'd hoped for it to be. She's only an apprentice, doesn't get a lot of work. Frances also breaks up with her boyfriend. He wants to move in with Frances and he buys cats for her, but Frances doesn't want to leave Sophie. Sophie in this movie, Frances' best friend, really is almost operating as Frances and her connection to her adolescence and her not wanting to grow up. 
for better or for worse. We all have that kind of friend that live with us through childhood, and we live our childhood with that person forever. Tell me the story of us. Again? All right, Francis. We are going to take over the world. You'll be this awesome, like, bitchy publishing mogul. And you'll be this famous modern dancer, and I'll publish a really expensive book about you. The D-bags we make fun of will put on their coffee tables. And we'll go on a vacation apartment in Paris. And we'll have lovers. And no children. And we'll speak at college graduations. And honorary degrees. So many honorary degrees. So when Sophie leaves Francis, this is really the rising action of the film. Kicks us into our second act of the movie, where Sophie leaves and Sophie is... Francis's comfort zone away from responsibility and adulthood and she doesn't want to do that but that's just how she's forced into this moment there's no going back from this I think forcing our main character into such a pivotal moment in her life allows for such big growth later on in the film which we see so this second chapter of the movie follows after Francis moves out of her old apartment she's living with Sophie and she moves in with Benji and Lev I love this part of the movie probably the most because I like seeing young Adam Driver seeing him transform into Kylo Ren being the best part of the Star Wars sequels by far and also Patch who's writing Gremlins 3 and I thank him so much for that. I love also though how Benji and Lev compliment Francis and how they are actually kind of operating as a male versions of Francis and Sophie. In this chapter of Francis's life we also see the divide with Sophie and Sophie I love is a mirror of Francis and what Francis should be or could be but Francis just fears the unknown of adulthood. She definitely, we see, has a hatred for adulthood because of the uncertainty and the responsibility of life that she doesn't want to bear, even though she's 27 years old. And really the downfall of their relationship comes from Sophie's new boyfriend, Patch, who isn't even a bad guy, but Patch takes Sophie away from Francis, and Patch really is operating as, like, a motif for adulthood. I was lying. I don't love Patch. I do love him. Since when? When did this happen? It's been happening. That's fucking bullshit. Come on, Sophie. No, you're bullshit. And you're making me feel really bad right now. I want to love him if you love him, but you don't love him. I do. Sophie, I fucking held your head while you cried. I bought special milk for you. I know where you hide your pills. Don't treat me like a three-hour brunch friend. Right, I'm not talking to you while you're like this. After Frances's downfall with Sophie, she finds out she can't be in the Christmas play for the company she's working with. And in turn, she can't pay for the apartment that she's living with Benji and Lev, so she decides to go back to Sacramento with her parents. And I love this Christmas section of the movie because it really does show the rise and the fall of the holidays and coming home for Christmas. For some reason, the holidays can be so happy, but also just so depressing. And this shows that very well in this very short, about four-minute sequence. It captures the suburbia of life and around the holidays, setting up for Christmas, taking on the decorations after that, going out with your friends, ice skating, going to church, all that stuff around the holidays that you love to do. But it's also just this layer of weight and responsibility that Francis is feeling is shown so much throughout this entire sequence. So after Frances comes home from the holidays, she moves in with one of her friends from the dancing company she's in. This part of the movie is definitely my favorite scene in the entire film, where she's at dinner with her friend's family, and she finds out that Sophie is leaving for Japan. I love just on Frances's face, you just see the destruction, because she realizes that Sophie is doing better than her, which is good, and she's doing better without Frances, but the point is, is that Frances feels like she may have been doing more harm than good when she knew Sophie. And as I was rewatching it for like the third time this year, I saw that earlier in this dinner scene, 
Frances says that she doesn't want to drink any wine. She's trying to stay away from alcohol. Then after she finds out that Sophie is leaving for Japan, she immediately just pours like her cup up to like the brim, which is on paper a very, very sad movie. I think if you took this movie and gave it to a different director and a different actor, it would feel just like something like Manchester by the Sea. A completely different film, just emotionally destroying, but they do it in a clever way to make it seem like a cleverly disguised happy tragedy almost. And then after this, Frances's monologue scene with everyone at the dinner party, telling everyone what she wants in a relationship and what she wants from life and from love, and also telling this to the audience. If you do this earlier in the film, Frances' monologue, it doesn't feel earned, you're gonna think this person is very weird, but since we've gotten a chance to spend time with Frances this entire movie and understand her mental psyche, it feels earned. It feels like we are in this sequence and we understand her in a way. But once again on paper, when you look at it, not, not only even on paper, just from the perspective of everyone at this party, it seems very, very sad, everything she's saying. It's that thing when you're with someone and you love them and they know it and they love you and you know it but it's a party and you're both talking to other people and you're laughing and shining and you look across the room and catch each other's eyes but but not because you're possessive or it's precisely sexual but because that is your person in this life and it's funny and sad, but only because this life will end. And it's the secret world that exists right there in public, unnoticed, that no one else knows about. It's sort of like how they say that um, other dimensions exist all around us, but we don't have the ability to perceive them. That's, that's what I want out of a relationship. Or just life, I guess. Love. <laughs> I sound stoned. <laughs> I'm not stoned. Thanks for dinner. Bye. Oh, bye. So after that depressing monologue, she takes a trip to Paris and on paper and in a lot of other movies, Paris is the place of self-discovery, finding out where you're supposed to be. But here it's Francis maxing out a credit card, being under massive amounts of debt and depression, and going to Paris, almost like a mental health crisis. This entire section of the film with Francis in Paris is just a montage of her being absolutely miserable. She wakes up at like 5 p.m. She goes to a Puss in Boots showing, doesn't even ask what time it starts, just ask when the Puss in Boots show started because she's that aimless and that depressed that she doesn't even care what time it started, just that she's watching it in general. And then within a moment that shows the current mental state that Frances is in, she's on the phone with Sophie when she's in Paris and Sophie tells her that she's moving to Japan with Patch. In this entire phone call, we see that Frances is just lying to Sophie about the state that she's in in her life, just to maybe feel good about herself and make Sophie somewhat jealous or proud of her in a way. Sophie says that she's sorry that she missed the Christmas show and Frances, who wasn't in the Christmas show, doesn't say she wasn't in the show. She tells her that she wasn't that good anyway. Sophie offers Frances her apartment while she's living in Japan and Frances says no, she's gonna find her own place soon, which isn't true either. I think the lying from Sophie in this scene may have just been her trying to convince herself she's doing something good and almost as well make Sophie proud in a way because Sophie is not only her friend, but her motif for adolescence and promising her younger self that I am doing somewhat better. 
After Frances gets back to the States from Paris, she doesn't take a good office job from the studio she was working at, but instead she goes back to work at her college, and in her head she tells herself it's a big step forward, something new, but in reality it's just a really big step back. At a dinner party that Frances is working at, she reunites with Sophie. Sophie tells Frances she's going to leave Patch and live with Frances again back in New York. As she's staying the night, Frances falls asleep with this mentality, waking up to only find that Sophie has left to live with Patch and marry him. Frances runs out the house, quite literally chasing her adolescence and the life she once had, even though it's long gone, literally screaming in the street. This is the moment of climax for our story, and the falling action and resolution, all in one realization that Frances can't keep chasing what once was. The resolution to this film is exquisitely well done, and it doesn't end in any other perfect way. Frances takes her office job she was offered, choreographs her own show, and gets her own apartment, finally finding herself and accepting herself. And I think that's what living in your 20s is all about, even as late as Frances is at 27, being in your 20s, spending thousands of dollars on college they may not even use, the indecisiveness, the unexpectedness of it, and just fear to grow is what makes your 20s but you can take jumps you can take risks with no consequences because you're so young it's the decade to live to laugh the last decade where you're truly going to be alive before you get locked away into your nine to five to where you quote unquote retire even though you're gonna be too old to retire the two most important days in your life is the day that you're born and the day you find out why you're born and in your 20s you can live you can laugh you can love find that special someone to love even if they don't end up being your spouse you live and you live with that and you find the joy and the happiness and the beauty and the ugly the black and white the gray that comes with life all in your 20s without consequence at least that's what it means to me the fun's not over yet now it's time for our buzz from the backlot segment as well as a couple little film recommendations for you if you love francis ha now with our buzz from the backlot a little bit of fun facts for the film francis ha was shot as low-key and covertly as possible on new york city streets under the title untitled digital workshop Contrary to the movie's improvisational feel, the actors followed a very tightly written script with little to no deviation. The bathroom scene with Francis and Sophie lasts 28 seconds, yet it required 42 takes to get right. And lastly, Francis' parents are played by Greta Gerwig's real-life parents, Gordon Gerwig and Christine Gerwig. And now for a little bit of film recommendations. If you like Francis Ha, I think you're ready for Noah Baumbach's probably best film ever, Marriage Story, with Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. Absolute masterpiece. And if you love Greta Gerwig, and you've probably already seen her other work, but watch her directorial debut, that being Lady Bird. Definitely her best work. I don't care how much you love Barbie, Lady Bird's better. And this film being heavily inspired by the French New Wave, I recommend tapping into a little bit of that with The 400 Blows. Probably the most iconic film from the New Wave and the most well-known film from the French New Wave. It's a very beautiful, tragic coming-of-age story. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Court Cinema Podcast. Hope you found this one very fun. Next episode, the next major film cover will be Sing Street. I hope the strike ends soon. I have some other very cool films to dive deep into, but Sing Street will be the next major episode. In the meantime, stay up to date on all things Court of Cinema by following us on our socials. Fair warning, we're more active on our Instagram. I like the Instagram OS, and just the community on Instagram is a lot more positive than something like TikTok or Twitter or X, whatever that is. Instagram is probably the one I'm going to stick with the most, but we're active somewhat on every other platform. Until the next episode, though, I'm your host, Logan, and I'll catch you in the movies.